Part four, Propositions sixteen to twenty, of the Ethics by Spinoza. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by OK. The Ethics by Benedict de Spinoza, translated by R. H. M. Elways. Part four, Propositions sixteen to twenty. Proposition sixteen. Desire, arising from the knowledge of good and evil, in so far as such knowledge regards what is future, may be more easily controlled or quenched than the desire for what is agreeable at the present moment. Proof. Emotion towards a thing which we conceive as future is fainter than emotion towards the thing that is present. Part 4, Proposition 9, Corollary. But desire, which arises from the true knowledge of good and evil, though it be concerned with things which are good at the moment, can be quenched or controlled by any headstrong desire, by the last proposition, the proof whereof, is of universal application. Wherefore, desire arising from such knowledge, when concerned with the future, can be more easily controlled or quenched than the desire for what is agreeable at the present moment. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 17. Desire arising from the true knowledge of good and evil, in so far as such knowledge is concerned with what is contingent, can be controlled far more easily still than desire for things that are present. Proof. This proposition is proved in the same way as the last proposition from Part 4, Proposition 12, Corollary. Note. I think I have now shown the reason why men are moved by opinion more readily than by true reason. Why it is that the true knowledge of good and evil stirs up conflicts in the soul, and often yields to every kind of passion. This state of things gave rise to the exclamation of the poet, Ovid. Footnote. The better path I gaze at and approve, the worse I follow. From the Metamorphoses, Book 7, Verse 20. Video meliora proboque deteriora sequor. Ecclesiastes seems to have had the same thought in his mind when he says, He who increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I have not written the above with the object of drawing the conclusion that ignorance is more excellent than knowledge, or that a wise man is on a par with a fool in controlling his emotions but because it is necessary to know the power and the infirmity of our nature before we can determine what reason can do in restraining the emotions, and what is beyond her power. I have said that in the present part I shall merely treat of human infirmity. The power of reason over the emotions I have settled to treat separately. Proposition 18. Desire arising from pleasure is, other conditions being equal, stronger than desire arising from pain. Proof. Desire is the essence of a man, definition of the emotions one, that is, the endeavour whereby a man endeavours to persist in his own being, wherefore desire arising from pleasure is by the fact of pleasure being felt, increased or helped. On the contrary, desire arising from pain is by the fact of pain being felt, diminished or hindered, hence the force of desire arising from pleasure, must be defined by human power together with the power of an external cause, whereas desire arising from pain must be defined by human power only. 
thus the former is stronger of the true. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. In these few remarks I have explained the causes of human infirmity and inconstancy, and shown why men do not abide by the precepts of reason. It now remains for me to show what course is marked out for us by reason, which of the emotions are in harmony with the rules of human reason, and which of them are contrary thereto. But before I begin to prove my propositions in detailed geometrical fashion, it is advisable to sketch them briefly in advance, so that everyone may more readily grasp my meaning. As reason makes no demands contrary to nature, it demands that every man should love himself, should seek that which is useful to him, I mean that which is really useful to him, should desire everything which really brings man to greater perfection, and should, each for himself, endeavour as far as he can to preserve his own being. This is as necessarily true as that a whole is greater than its part. See Part 3, Proposition 4. Again, as virtue is nothing else but action in accordance with the laws of one's own nature, Part 4, Definition 8, and as no one endeavours to preserve his own being except in accordance with the laws of his own nature, it follows first that the foundation of virtue is the endeavour to preserve one's own being, and that happiness consists in man's power of preserving his own being. Secondly, that virtue is to be desired for its own sake, and that there is nothing more excellent or more useful to us for the sake of which we should desire it. Thirdly, and lastly, that suicides are weak-minded, and are overcome by external causes repugnant to their nature. Further, it follows from postulate 4, part 2, that we can never arrive at doing, without all external things, for the preservation of our being or living, so as to have no relations with things which are outside ourselves. Again, if we consider our mind, we see that our intellect would be more imperfect, if mind were alone, and could understand nothing besides itself. There are then many things outside ourselves which are useful to us, and are therefore to be desired. Of such, none can be discerned more excellent than those which are in entire agreement with our nature. For if, for example, two individuals of entirely the same nature are united, they form a combination twice as powerful as either of them singly. Therefore, to man there is nothing more useful than man. Nothing, I repeat, more excellent for preserving their being can be wished for by men than that all should so in all points agree, that the minds and bodies of all should form as it were one single mind and one single body, and that all should, with one consent, as far as they are able, endeavour to preserve their being, and all with one consent seek what is useful to them all. Hence, men who are governed by reason, that is, who seek what is useful to them in accordance with reason, desire for themselves nothing which they do not also desire for the rest of mankind, and consequently are just, faithful, and honourable in their conduct. Such are the dictates of reason, which I purpose thus briefly to indicate, before beginning to prove them in greater detail. I have taken this course, in order, if possible, to gain the attention of those who believe that the principle that every man is bound to seek what is useful for himself, is the foundation of impiety, rather than of piety and virtue. Therefore, after briefly showing that the contrary is the case, I go on to prove it, by the same method, 
as that whereby I have hitherto proceeded. Proposition 19. Every man, by the laws of his nature, necessarily desires or shrinks from that which he deems to be good or bad. Proof. The knowledge of good and evil is, part 4, proposition 8, the emotion of pleasure or pain in so far as we are conscious thereof. Therefore, every man necessarily desires what he thinks good and shrinks from what he thinks bad. Now this appetite is nothing else but man's nature, or essence. See the definition of appetite, part 3, proposition 9, note, and definition of the emotions, 1. Therefore, every man, solely by the laws of his nature, desires the one and shrinks from the other, etc. Quod erat demonstrandum. Proposition 20. The more every man endeavours and is able to seek what is useful to him, in other words, to preserve his own being, the more is he endowed with virtue. On the contrary, in proportion as a man neglects to seek what is useful to him, that is, to preserve his own being, he is wanting in power. Proof. Virtue is human power, which is defined solely by man's essence. Part 4. Definition 8. That is, which is defined solely by the endeavour made by man to persist in his own being. Wherefore, the more a man endeavours and is able to preserve his own being, the more is he endowed with virtue, and consequently, part 3, propositions 4 and 6, in so far as a man neglects to preserve his own being, he is wanting in power. Quod erat demonstrandum. Note. No one, therefore, neglects seeking his own good, or preserving his own being, unless he be overcome by causes external and foreign to his nature. No one, I say, from the necessity of his own nature or otherwise, than under compulsion from external causes, shrinks from food or kills himself. Which latter may be done in a variety of ways. A man, for instance, kills himself under the compulsion of another man, who twists round his right hand, wherewith he happened to have taken up a sword, and forces him to turn the blade against his own heart, or again, he may be compelled, like Seneca, by a tyrant's command, to open his own veins, that is, to escape a greater evil, by incurring a lesser. Or lastly, latent external causes may so disorder his imagination, and so affect his body, that it may assume a nature contrary to its former one and whereof the idea cannot exist in the mind. Part 3, Proposition 10. But that a man, from the necessity of his own nature, should endeavour to become non-existent, is as impossible as that something should be made out of nothing, as everyone will see for himself after a little reflection. End of Part 4. Propositions 16 to 20. Recording by O.K. Okay.